0: Section 10 of Letters of Pliny by Pliny the Younger Translated by William Melmoth Revised by F. C. T. Bozenkay This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Andrew Coleman Section 10 Letters 65 and 66 Letter 65 to Tacitus Your request that I would send you an account of my uncle's death in order to transmit a more exact relation of it to posterity, deserves my acknowledgments. For, if this accident shall be celebrated by your pen, the glory of it, I am well assured, will be rendered for ever illustrious. And notwithstanding he perished by a misfortune, which, as it involved at the same time a most beautiful country in ruins, and destroyed so many populous cities seems to promise him an everlasting remembrance notwithstanding he has himself composed many and lasting works yet i am persuaded the mentioning of him in your immortal writings will greatly contribute to render his name immortal happy i esteem those to be to whom by provision of the gods has been granted the ability either to do such actions as are worthy of being related, or to relate them in a manner worthy of being read. But peculiarly happy are they who are blessed with both these uncommon talents, in the number of which my uncle, as his own writings and your history will evidently prove, may justly be ranked. It is with extreme willingness, therefore, that I execute your commands, and should indeed have claimed the task, if you had not enjoined it. He was at that time with the fleet under his command at Mycenum. On the twenty-fourth of August, about one in the afternoon, my mother desired him to observe a cloud which appeared of a very unusual size and shape. He had just taken a turn in the sun, and after bathing himself in cold water, and making a light luncheon, gone back to his books. He immediately arose, and went out upon a rising ground from whence he might get a better sight of this very uncommon appearance. A cloud, from which Mountain was uncertain at this distance, but it was found afterwards to come from Mount Vesuvius, was ascending the appearance of which I cannot give you a more exact description of than by likening it to that of a pine-tree, for it shot up to a great height in the form of a very tall trunk, which spread itself out at the top into a sort of branches, occasioned, I imagine, either by a sudden gust of air that impelled it, the force of which decreased as it advanced upwards, or the cloud itself, being pressed back again by its own weight, expanded in the manner I have mentioned. It appeared sometimes bright, and sometimes dark and spotted, according as it was either more or less impregnated with earth and cinders. This phenomenon seemed to a man of such learning and research as my uncle extraordinary, and worth further looking into. He ordered a light vessel to be got ready, "'and gave me leave, if I liked, to accompany him. "'I said I had rather go on with my work. "'And it so happened he had himself given me something to write out. "'As he was coming out of the house, "'he received a note from Rectina, the wife of Bassus, "'who was in the utmost alarm at the imminent danger which threatened her, "'for her villa, lying at the foot of Mount Vesuvius, "'there was no way of escape,' By sea, she earnestly entreated him, therefore, to come to her assistance. He accordingly changed his first intention, and what he had begun from a philosophical, he now carries out in a noble and generous spirit. He ordered the galleys to be put to sea, and went himself on board with an intention of assisting not only Rectina but the several other towns which lay thickly strewn along that beautiful coast. Hastening, then, to the place from whence others fled with the utmost terror, he steered his course direct to the point of danger, and with so much calmness and presence of mind as to be able to make and dictate his observations upon the motion and all the phenomena of that dreadful scene. He was now so close to the mountain that the cinders, which grew thicker and hotter the nearer he approached, fell into the ships, together with pumice-stones and black pieces of burning rock. They were in danger, too, not only of being aground by the sudden retreat of the sea, but also from the vast fragments which rolled down from the mountain and obstructed all the shore. HERE HE STOPPED TO CONSIDER WHETHER HE SHOULD TURN BACK AGAIN, TO WHICH THE PILOT ADVISING HIM, FORTUNE, SAID HE, FAVOURS THE BRAVE, STEER TO WHERE POMPONIANUS IS. POMPONIANUS WAS THEN AT STABIAE, SEPARATED BY A BAY WHICH THE SEA, AFTER SEVERAL INSENSIBLE WINDINGS, FORMS WITH THE SHORE. HE HAD ALREADY SENT HIS BAGGAGE ON BOARD. For though he was not at that time in actual danger, yet being within sight of it, and indeed extremely near, if it should in the least increase, he was determined to put to sea as soon as the wind, which was blowing dead in shore, should go down. It was favourable, however, for carrying my uncle to Pomponianus, whom he found in the greatest consternation, he embraced him tenderly encouraging and urging him to keep up his spirits and the more effectually to soothe his fears by seeming unconcerned himself ordered a bath to be got ready and then after having bathed sat down to supper with great cheerfulness or at least what is just as heroic with every appearance of it Meanwhile broad flames shone out in several places from Mount Vesuvius, which the darkness of the night contributed to render still brighter and clearer. But my uncle, in order to soothe the apprehensions of his friend, assured him it was only the burning of the villages, which the country people had abandoned to the flames. After this he retired to rest, and it is most certain he was so little disquieted as to fall into a sound sleep, for his breathing, which, on account of his corpulence, was rather heavy and sonorous, was heard by the attendants outside. The court which led to his apartment, being now almost filled with stones and ashes, If he had continued there any time longer, it would have been impossible for him to have made his way out. So he was awoke, and got up, and went to Pomponianus and the rest of his company, who were feeling too anxious to think of going to bed. They consulted together whether it would be most prudent to trust the houses, which now rocked from side to side with frequent and violent concussions as though shaken from their very foundations, or fly to the open fields where the calcined stones and cinders, though light indeed, yet fell in large showers and threatened destruction. In this choice of dangers they resolved for the fields. A resolution which, while the rest of the company were hurried into by their fears, my uncle embraced upon cool and deliberate consideration. They went out then, having pillows tied upon their heads with napkins, and this was their whole defence against the storm of stones that fell round them. It was now day everywhere else but there a deeper darkness prevailed than in the thickest night, which, however, was in some degree alleviated by torches and other lights of various kinds. They thought proper to go further down upon the shore to see if they might safely put out to sea, but found the waves still running extremely high and boisterous. There my uncle, laying himself down upon a sailcloth, which was spread for him, called twice for some cold water which he drank when immediately the flames preceded by a strong whiff of sulphur dispersed the rest of the party and obliged him to rise he raised himself up with the assistance of two of his servants and instantly fell down dead suffocated as i conjecture by some gross and noxious vapour having always had a weak throat which was often inflamed. As soon as it was light again, which was not till the third day after this melancholy accident, his body was found entire, and without any marks of violence upon it, in the dress in which he fell, and looking more like a man asleep than dead. During all this time, my mother and I, who were at my but this has no connection with your history, and you did not desire any particulars besides those of my uncle's death, so I will end here, only adding that I have faithfully related to you what I was either an eyewitness of myself, or received immediately after the accident happened, and before there was time to vary the truth. You will pick out of this narrative whatever is most important, for a letter is one thing, a history, another. It is one thing writing to a friend, another thing writing to the public. Farewell. Letter 66. To Cornelius Tacitus. The letter which, in compliance with your request, I wrote to you concerning the death of my uncle, has raised it seems your curiosity to know what terrors and dangers attended me while i continued at my for there i think my account broke off though my shocked soul recoils my tongue shall tell my uncle having left us i spent such time as was left on my studies it was on their account indeed that i had stopped behind till it was time for my bath after which i went to supper and then fell into a short and uneasy sleep there had been noticed for many days before a trembling of the earth which did not alarm us much as this is quite an ordinary occurrence in campania but it was so particularly violent that night that it not only shook but actually overturned as it would seem everything about us My mother rushed into my chamber, where she found me rising, in order to awaken her. We sat down in the open court of the house, which occupied a small space between the buildings and the sea. As I was at that time but eighteen years of age, I know not whether I should call my behaviour in this dangerous juncture courage or folly, but I took up Livy. AND AMUSED MYSELF WITH TURNING OVER THAT AUTHOR AND EVEN MAKING EXTRACTS FROM HIM, AS IF I HAD BEEN PERFECTLY AT MY leisure. JUST THEN, A FRIEND OF MY UNCLE'S, WHO HAD LATELY COME TO HIM FROM SPAIN, JOINED US, AND, OBSERVING ME SITTING BY MY MOTHER WITH A BOOK IN MY HAND, REPROVED HER FOR HER CALMNESS, AND ME AT THE SAME TIME FOR MY CARELESS SECURITY. NEVERTHELESS, I WENT ON WITH MY AUTHOR. Though it was now morning, the light was still exceedingly faint and doubtful. The buildings all around us tottered, and though we stood upon open ground, yet as the place was narrow and confined, there was no remaining without imminent danger. We therefore resolved to quit the town. A panic-stricken crowd followed us, and, as to a mind distracted with terror every suggestion seems more prudent than its own, pressed on us in dense array to drive us forward as we came out. Being at a convenient distance from the houses, we stood still, in the midst of a most dangerous and dreadful scene. The chariots, which we had ordered to be drawn out, were so agitated backwards and forwards though upon the most level ground, that we could not keep them steady, even by supporting them with large stones. The sea seemed to roll back upon itself, and to be driven from its banks by the convulsive motion of the earth. It is certain at least the shore was considerably enlarged, and several sea-animals were left upon it. On the other side a black and dreadful cloud, broken with rapid zigzag flashes, revealed behind it variously shaped masses of flame. These last were like sheet lightning, but much larger. Upon this our Spanish friend, whom I mentioned above, addressing himself to my mother and me with great energy and urgency. "'If your brother,' he said, If your uncle be safe, he certainly wishes you may be so too. But if he perished, it was his desire, no doubt, that you might both survive him. Why, therefore, do you delay your escape a moment? We could never think of our own safety, we said, while we were uncertain of his. Upon this, our friend left us, and withdrew from the danger with the utmost precipitation soon afterwards the cloud began to descend and cover the sea it had already surrounded and concealed the island of Capri, and the promontory of mycenum my mother now besought urged even commanded me to make my escape at any rate which as i was young i might easily do As for herself, she said, her age and corpulency rendered all attempts of that sort impossible. However, she would willingly meet death if she could have the satisfaction of seeing that she was not the occasion of mine. But I absolutely refused to leave her, and, taking her by the hand, compelled her to go with me. She complied with great reluctance and not without many reproaches to herself, for retarding my flight. The ashes now began to fall upon us, though in no great quantity. I looked back. A dense, dark mist seemed to be following us, spreading itself over the country like a cloud. "'Let us turn out of the high road,' I said, while we can still see. For fear that, should we fall in the road, We should be pressed to death in the dark By the crowds that are following us. We had scarcely sat down when night came upon us, Not such as we have when the sky is cloudy, Or when there is no moon, But that of a room when it is shut up And all the lights put out. You might hear the shrieks of women, The screams of children, and the shouts of men, some calling for their children, others for their parents, others for their husbands, and seeking to recognize each other by the voices that replied, one lamenting his own fate, another that of his family, some wishing to die from the very fear of dying, some lifting their hands to the gods, BUT THE GREATER PART CONVINCED THAT THERE WERE NOW NO GODS AT ALL, AND THAT THE FINAL ENDLESS NIGHT OF WHICH WE HAVE HEARD HAD COME UPON THE WORLD. AMONG THESE THERE WERE SOME WHO AUGMENTED THE REAL TERRORS, BY OTHERS IMAGINARY OR WILLFULLY INVENTED. I REMEMBER SOME WHO DECLARED THAT ONE PART OF mycenum HAD FALLEN, THAT ANOTHER WAS ON FIRE. IT WAS FALSE but they found people to believe them. It now grew rather lighter, which we imagined to be rather the forerunner of an approaching burst of flames, as in truth it was, than the return of day. However, the fire fell at a distance from us. Then again we were immersed in thick darkness, and a heavy shower of ashes rained upon us, which we were obliged every now and then to stand up to shake off otherwise we should have been crushed and buried in the heap. I might boast that, during all this scene of horror, not a sigh or expression of fear escaped me, had not my support been grounded in that miserable, though mighty, consolation, that all mankind were involved in the same calamity, and that I was perishing with the world itself. At last this dreadful darkness was dissipated by degrees like a cloud or smoke. The real day returned, and even the sun shone out, though with a lurid light, like when an eclipse is coming on. Every object that presented itself to our eyes, which were extremely weakened, seemed changed, being covered deep with ashes as if with snow. We returned to Mycenum, where we refreshed ourselves as well as we could, and passed an anxious night between hope and fear, though indeed with a much larger share of the latter, for the earthquake still continued while many frenzied persons ran up and down, heightening their own and their friends' calamities by terrible predictions. However, my mother and I, notwithstanding the danger we had passed, and that which still threatened us, had no thoughts of leaving the place till we could receive some news of my uncle. And now you will read this narrative without any view of inserting it in your history, of which it is not in the least worthy. And indeed, you must put it down to your own request, if it should appear not worth even the trouble of a letter. Farewell. End of section 10